Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, a place where we dive deep into the minds of incredibly talented and creative individuals and try to unravel the mysteries behind their inspirations. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs, and joining me on this fantastic journey tonight is our co-host of True Fiction, the uncanny Norbert Yates. How's it going tonight, Norbert? It's going well, trying to stay warm. A little cool out here in Indiana. Yeah, in the Midwest, it's really taking a turn for the cold. We need to wrap up, but if you've been here a while, you're used to that. Tonight's guest, who's probably not feeling that at all since he's down in Texas, is a versatile creative leader with a career spanning agencies like RGA and AKQA and impactful roles at Apple, Uber, and Harley-Davidson. Currently, as Upwork's VP of Creative, he leads a groundbreaking team whose work has earned accolades from Cannes, ADC, Clio's, and more. Known for his thought leadership, he has shared insights at Adobe Max and Adweek offering unique perspectives on building creative teams at scale. True Fiction welcomes Patrick Hawley to the show. How's it going tonight, Patrick? Going pretty well. It's, it, it is cold here in Texas, but that just means it's not 100 degrees. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, got a sweater on today for the first time in a while. You've really cool road to where you're at right now. What got you started in a creativity? Got into it in a really roundabout way. I went to school originally to be a doctor. I wanted to work in medicine. And, and then I realized that chemistry is really hard. And so I decided to try something else. And so I ended up doing a communications degree in about two years. So did that a little too fast because I spent the first two years not being good at being a fake doctor. And it was, I think, my senior year of school in college where I somehow came across this flyer for the Portland Advertising Federation. They do a program called the Collaboratory, where they find two writers, two art directors, two account people, and two PR folks, or at least aspiring to be those things, who are coming from graduating classes around the country. And you apply, and hopefully you get one of those two spots for each of the disciplines. And I had spent some time working in music PR at that time, but I had never been a copywriter, but I figured, hey, I used to write press releases, maybe I can write ads. And so I did a lot of research and pulled together the most ramshackle book you've ever seen. And uh, I ended up applying and ended up getting in, which strangely, I found out later after coaxing my, my mentor with some beer that it had nothing to do with my book. It had everything to do with the fact that I had a successful Tumblr page at the time. I don't know if you remember Tumblr. That book. This is the advent of social media. This kid maybe knows it. Let's bring him in. So that was my first entree into advertising was that internship program. What you're going through now, what your team does. Can you walk me through your typical creative process from concept to completion? Yeah. So the way we work at Upwork is slightly different than my, my history at agencies, because when you're in-house, you have one client and you know them very well. Not only do you know like the work that, that the brand does, because in some cases, like our team, we literally built the brand and the brand campaigns. But you also know the people behind it. And it's a, a little different than the, the agency world where you, you're a creative, you're a creative team, let's say. You get a brief across your desk, you make concepts, you present them to your creative director or your ECD, and then they go off in the ether. Maybe you get an opportunity to present to the client. Our process is a lot more integrated with our partners where not only do we get you know those briefs that come in and we work on them, but we actually can work with our partners across the brand organization or enterprise or communications or, or whatever kind of part of the marketing organization we happen to be working with at a given time 
and really help them understand their hopes, goals, dreams, desires, and help craft that brief with them, which has led to actually a lot of the award-winning work we have done has the briefs have started like that, where we're either my team or one of the partners we work with as some need. And then we figure out what is the coolest way to address that based on what we know about the larger organization. So it's a, it's definitely a different, more integrated process, but it's one that while roundabout ends up leading to some pretty great work. Your team sounds large. How many people are on a team? We've got about 50 folks right now. Um, I think when I started almost three years ago, we had maybe half that, if not less. We grew obviously in, in kind of proportion to the, the needs of the business, but we also grew in terms of the skill sets that we had on the team. So when I came on, it, it was very much a team that was built by someone who wasn't necessarily thinking about what creativity could and should do for a brand and a product. And that's not their fault. It was the fact that the organization was literally building the creative team for their needs at any given time. So it was an ad hoc process where you had, all right, hey, we need to make these emails, hire a writer to write them, hire a designer to design them. What I wanted to build and what we've built here is more, more akin to an agency, one that has all the functions of an agency. We have art, copy, design, production, project management, we have account, we have strategy, all those kind of things that really allow you a full toolbox to address whatever need might come across your desk. And so, yeah, we've grown quite a bit over the past few years. So what's your role as VP? Do you just have the last say or on the initial designs? When I originally came in, I came in as the executive creative director, which was a title I was very familiar with and one that I aspired to for most of my career. But being internal, I realized that my job is not so much to make the work as it is to enable really talented people to make the work. And as I ended up like going throughout my journey, especially over the past year, I realized, wow, I've hired some really great people like group creative directors and strategy directors and, and directors of creative practices to be able to come in and, and run the work. And it's my job to make sure that the larger organization is set up in a way that that we can not only action on great briefs, but we can actually make sure that the larger organization knows what we're capable of and thus brings things to us or brings problems or opportunities that we can really help them with. So I'm dancing monkey meets traveling salesman a little bit. Gotcha. One of the things that, as you was talking about that, I was thinking about selling ideas. And sometimes you're dealing in the marketing world and you have a great idea and you have to sell an idea because the client may or may not get exactly where you're going. And I wondered if that was a, I, I, I think about it in, in a couple of different ways. People have different skill sets. Some people are, are, are really great at an idea and seeing what works about an idea and help steering people. Some people are more personality based. Some people are, like I said, salesmen, they help sell an idea. What part of the process do you feel like you're now strongest at? So it's funny you bring that up because I was giving a talk a, a while ago at the creative circus before it ended up closing down, unfortunately, but I was looking at this group of students and I was saying every single one of you in here will make hands lion award-winning work in your lifetime. 
the number of you who will actually be able to collect one of those lions is much smaller. And the reason for that is you need to be able to sell your work. You need to be able to make the ideas and the executions make sense to your client. And that really takes not just having a great idea, but it, it takes having a great understanding of who you're selling that idea to. And so my job really at this point has a lot to do with selling ideas. It has a lot to do with understanding where the larger business is at, where the uh, stakeholders or clients, however you want to call them, are at in their organizations and make sure that not only are we making the work that would make sense for their needs and, and that will be impactful and, and awesome, but also that it's it's brought to them in a way that meets them where they're at. So a lot of, of what I do is that kind of sales part. That's probably, I guess, the best, best part of my job and the, the part of my job I'm best at, at this point. Another thing I think about when you're dealing with creatives, they have great ideas that may not, like, for example, you're saying your stakeholders and where they're at and where they're, you may have great ideas that is awesome, but may not fit that stakeholder. And it's like managing creatives. I wondered if you had any insight in dealing with creative people that are they sometimes they they love their ideas like children and it's hard for them to give up or go a different direction i i wondered if you had any in, insight in dealing with people like that and how you keep them upbeat and positive when you know that a stakeholder is gonna go i don't think so yeah i have a lot of experience dealing with that mainly because i have been that creative for a long part part of my career i have been the person who had this idea that's the best idea and it's my darling and I need to keep it alive and it's going to win me all these awards and it's the best idea and how come they don't understand that? But the reality is that, you know, especially when you're the creative, you have created this idea, it's yours. And so it's tied to you as not only a creative, but as a person. And so when you're critiquing that work or you're trying to let them know, hey, they're probably not going to go for this. You're not only critiquing the work, you're critiquing them. And so you need to really, one, when you're giving that feedback, you need to approach it like you're talking to a human. You're not talking to a coworker. You're talking to somebody who's really put their heart and soul into this. And if you're going to have a team that will put their heart and soul into stuff, you need to approach it like that. Otherwise, they're just going to see it as just a job and they're going to phone it in and that's no good. But when it comes to treading that line of are we a, it happens all the time, but I think it's always, you got to sandwich it between opportunity. And whether it's opportunity with that current project or some other opportunity that you're able to drum up, like you need to pair the stick with the carrot in that sense. So for example, if we are bringing some work to, to somebody that maybe is a little out there and we're really trying to push them and stuff like that, maybe let's try to dial it up even more. So when they get it, they'll be like, oh, that's a little, that's a little crazy. And then you can dial it back to where you had it before, you know, so you can test those waters. That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is focusing on the things that creatives really like to do. A lot of creatives love to go on shoots. A lot of creatives love to make physical things. A lot of creatives like to have shots at awards. So as a creative leader, it's your opportunity or your job really to find those opportunities for them. So maybe we bring an idea to the client and they're like, hey, we need to scale this back significantly. We can't do this or that feels a little too out there or whatever. Your job is to be like, okay, cool. We need to action on that feedback. But we also need to find out what are the things that are left that are great and really focus on those and how can we make those excellent? Because especially when you're in-house, it's not 
you're not just doing an individual project and then you're gone. You are every single project you do, every solid you do for a client or your partner internally is a stepping stone to doing more work with them and better work and new work. And that's also what I tell the people on my team is like, hey, we have to do this. It just is what it is. It's our jobs. But we're building trust with our partner in a way that will allow for us to do X, Y, or Z in the future. So it's really playing the long game in that sense. Another question along those lines, dealing with a team of 50, I can imagine you, and creative seem to be, this is just my observation, both more sensitive and more competitive than normal people. They can be at least. And so you get a group of 50 of them and not ever all of them are going to be on the same sort of lane of what they do, but there's going to be similar lanes. And I was wondering is how do you keep a group like that from becoming a herd of cats? And they're all wanting to go their own direction because they have their own sensitivities, their own sort of competitive drive, and they want to, I just can see where having been in around creatives in a group, it can go off the rails. And I was wondering how you try to navigate that and keep them cohesive. Yeah, we are very passionate people where like creatives in general are, are definitely not your average person or cat in this scenario. The best way I have found to, to lead creatives is one, being a creative to begin with. You have a shared experience and you're selling to yourself a lot of the time. So that that's helpful, having a shared parlance and, and having that, that shared experience and trust. But another way is that creatives, it's in the name. They want to create things. They're happy when they're creating things. And so leadership is as much setting clear expectations and your leadership one-on-one stuff as it is finding opportunities for them to create things. And whether that is something that has been briefed in by an external client and they're, okay, cool, we're going to go shoot a brand campaign. Or it's something like, hey, this week we're about to go on our offsite, our team offsite, our, our annual holiday party. And we're doing a field day in Los Angeles. Like, like when you were at camp as a kid, water balloon toss and all that kind of good stuff. We ended up making merch for it. And one of our designers ended up designing these beautiful jerseys and sweatsuits and all this kind of cool stuff that are fantastic. We give her free reign. We're like, do whatever you want. Give us some example, give us some options. And we'll go make them and make these beautiful embroidered things for you, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't cost us a whole lot of money at all, but it gives her a really great opportunity to flex her creative muscle and make a physical thing and create something that is on her own terms. And it also allows the larger team to be able to have some cool artifacts that one of their teammates made. And there's a lot of opportunities to help creatives create, whether it's through, like I said, briefs or the other thing about creating kind of your own briefs or even allowing opportunities for creative um, conversation and, 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 and learning. Like we have a speaker series on my team where every couple of months we bring in a new, uh, a new person to give a talk who creative adjacent is a creative person, but not an advertising creative person to come in and talk. We've got the director of Bob's Burgers coming in uh, this week to talk to us. And those kind of things, whether it's creating something or learning something is really what motivates a creative. And if they're motivated, it's a whole lot easier to, to lead them because they're happy to be there. But can you make everyone happy all at once? Absolutely not. That's why my job is constantly working with people to try to figure out how to lead 50 folks in whatever direction they need to be led. I'm just going to follow up with this idea since we're on this lot lane. What happens when you have 
a project and it is not going where you think it needs to be in terms of some level, because this happens to every individual creator when they have, we talk to writers, we talk to different people and they, what happens when you get to that creator or bridge out? And now you throw in the dynamics of a team. I would assume there's times when you go, this is just not where it needs to be. What's the solution to that problem? It definitely is a problem. And the solution, the ideal solution is that you get it as soon as possible. The one, there should be a super clear brief that everyone gets clear on, but let's say you get further down the line and you're making something and I'm removed from a good amount of the kind of day-to-day -day work. And so let's say I come in and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh man, this feels totally, totally off from where I, I feel like we need to be right now. It's one, like I said before, understanding that the people who are making this are people and they put their heart and soul into it. And so when you give that feedback, you need to be understanding that. But two, you need to be very clear. There's no kind of benefit to dancing around a problem. So, hey, guys, we're not where we need to be right now. And here's exactly what I mean by that. Here's what I'm expecting or here's what I heard from the partner or whatever. So they understand something's wrong and they understand exactly what that thing is and how I imagine it being solved and just doing it quickly and just, Hey, we all got to get on this. Let's go. Let's work on it right now. But obviously doing that with as much empathy as possible, because like I said, there are people who are passionate. They put their heart and soul into it. But I think it's really just a speed and clarity thing. Very cool. One thing that I think about, and I think about this is, I, we like to talk about creativity and kind of a, across different genres, from writers to music, to art. To marketing. And one of the things that I think about is being repetitive. Let's say a band, they've hit the wall. Whenever that fifth album sounds a lot like that first album. And when you was talking about these wells that you're, you can pull from, do you get a sense that after a period of time, you need to move to a different well in order to keep yourself from becoming repetitive and thematically what you're doing? I think in many ways, yes. Creatives tend to want variety in the things that they're working on. I find that the deeper the well, the longer I am sustained by it, which is why I've been here for three years, have made everything from TV campaigns about dancing zombies to we made our own coffee and won an award at ADC for it. Like we can... We've made so many things here that the well has definitely not run dry for me when it comes to opportunity there. But what that also comes down to is what it's not just, Hey, this core part of the foundation of this brand from a storytelling perspective is there and it's a deep well. It also comes down to what the business is willing to do. What in my case, the CMO is willing to do. And in my current case here, the CMO, Melissa Waters, she ends up being the champion of creative. And so. You know, myself and my team are happy to work under her because it allows for us to explore all of these things in a way that allows for us to not have that run dry prematurely. Another thing I think about a lot is I knew a, a CMO of a multi-billion dollar company and for whatever reason, who he thought his customer was didn't really match the demographics of what his customer was. And I was wondering about misalignment in marketing and where people think they're 
customer is or what they want and where they actually are. And how much do you think getting data is important in terms of shaping your creative works? I think it's incredibly important. We have a whole data team here on the marketing organ in the marketing organization that informs all the work that we do. It's it's something that we're starting to fold a lot more into our briefs as well because you can make great work for an audience, but if that audience is not the one that aligns with the thing that you're selling, you just made terrible work. Doesn't matter how creatively excellent it was, if it's not speaking to the right people, then you didn't do your job. And data is absolutely key to anything that you make. For that CMO you're referring to, maybe he envisioned that the future customer that he would like that will create 10x growth for the company is not the one you have right now. And thus he's marketing to somebody who's not the current user. But unless, unless that's the case, if you're not doing solid data reads on who's actually using your product and what the motivations of your, your core audience and your key audience will be, you're just not doing a good job. Sounds like somebody who might be too far removed from what was actually going on. That be, that's a crazy thing. How do you see the role of creativity evolving in the context of remote work on platforms like Upwork? Yeah, I've seen it firsthand over the past three, four years now since really COVID came, up, came around. I didn't start working at Upwork until few years after all that stuff had, had kicked off. And so even when I was working at Harley Davidson, my job there was as the global brand director. Like I had to, to run this brand from, from Texas when my entire team was in Milwaukee and I had never met them before. And the whole remote thing was just like day one. I was like, what is happening right now? I need to not only figure out how to work in this way, but figure out a way how to lead in this way. And so the first year, first two years was really a crash course for me. But as soon as I came to Upwork, it was almost like a, a, a light sw switch flipped on for me because I went from Harley Davidson, which was, you know, the offices were in the same building that they used to build, the original building they built the motors in back in the 19, early 1900s. Wow. And so they've been working there for a while and, and them going remote was a complete shift in the way that organization was run. Um, going to Upwork, they've been remote for, or at least partially remote for a very long time. And we have uh, created a platform that is literally built around enabling that. It definitely was a, an easier ramp up period for me coming here because they'd already drank the Kool-Aid. But when I think about my role as building and leading this team of creatives over the past few years, I've found that it's actually way easier to build a great team if you are open to having one freelance, two remote people. Because I think back to building a team when I was living in either San Francisco or New York or wherever, and sure, those places have great talent, but if you are going to be looking to build the best team in the world, chances are the best people in the world aren't in your backyard. Right. And so you're either limited to the people who are currently in your backyard or those who are willing to move to your backyard. And if you live in a New York, hey, your backyard's pretty nice for a lot of creatives. They'll want to move there. When I was looking at hiring people in Milwaukee, it's really hard to find a lot of people who are willing to uproot to Milwaukee because they're just not familiar with it. And so building in a, a remote world has allowed me to build this team of 50 that span from Tokyo, Japan to New York City and everywhere in between. So I truly feel like I have built a pretty 
pretty dang world-class team because of it. Cause I actually looked around the world to find them. Wow. That's awesome. When you say you, you look for a team, I, we talked to a lot of individual and I had this big theory on, and I'm sure it's not new, but I think about it a lot and it's execution versus creativity. I think of it like the jazz mu musician who can improv and do amazing things just off the cuff. It just, it's an innate thing that they can produce. And then I think of the people that are great at execution in art. And I would think of somebody that is in an orchestra and, and can do the whatever instrument at, at a super high level. And then if you're thinking about marketing, you almost have to put in a sort of human dynamic of how do they deal within a team. And as you're thinking about your 50 in your team, do you think in terms of, okay, this person is amazing at execution and I'm going to pair this person with someone who is great at idea generation or he or she may not be great at the actual execution. Do you think in terms of that or is that something you, you just, that, that's a different mindset than what you approach building well, your team and putting together projects? Yeah. There are certain disciplines that lean more executional than conceptual. But as we mentioning earlier, I came in a few years ago and, and wanted to build this team up. The kind of foundational principle that I wanted to build it on was like, I looked within the team that existed when I got here and it was purely an executional team. They'd be like, Hey, we need an email. It needs to say this. Great. Okay. We'll make it and we'll ship it. I wanted to get away from that to be more of a conceptual and strategic led organization that can also execute. And so while there are parts of our organization that are more executional, everybody who is a part of the team has some kind of conceptual rigor to their work. They, it just gets a slider that goes up and down depending on what they're asked to do. So you have conceptual teams that it's in their name. They are there to concept. They also do some execution when it comes to creating mood boards or comps or things like that, but they're primarily there to think of ideas, script them, sell them through, things like that. And then you think about, you know, disciplines like design or our marketing, copywriting, things like that. They're more, okay, cool. The, maybe the concept has been locked. Let's talk about it. Let's think about how this comes to life in the design. And while the quote unquote concept may be locked, they still have conceptual work to do before they start executing. They need to be thinking about what the heck's going to happen because it, it becomes a, an inefficient team where full-time members of your team are just here to be a set of hands. And I, I think while it is a slider that goes up and down based on how conceptual or executional your role may be within the team, based on the discipline you have chosen to, to pursue, I think there's a level of concept and a level of ideation to every uh, part of the creative process. I think my last question for you tonight is, so you start out as a creative and then you're in a different role where you're involved with creative processes, but you're not driving them from yourself. Is there something that you do outside of your job that is purely for your own creative outlet? Do you have projects that you work on that you can bang out ideas yourself or work through ideas yourself? Or is a fact of you just shepherding ideas through gives you enough satisfaction that you don't feel like you need to do that process by yourself? That's a great question. I think it's something that 
pretty much every single creative or creative adjacent person I know does like some kind of side work. And that's something that I also encourage anybody who I'm either mentoring or talking to about the creative process. It's like, Hey, you are not going to be 100% creatively fulfilled by the work that you do from nine to five. It just won't happen because you're not an artist, you're a commercial artist, and you need to understand that there are trade-offs with that. And so we actually have something in uh, my team every Monday, we have this meeting, all hands meeting. And in it, we have a section at the beginning and it's called humble brag. And it's where somebody from the team comes up and talks about something they've done outside of work that is brag worthy. And we have people who have directed award-winning, like Grammy award-winning music videos for rappers. We've had somebody who just shared how she bought an eight unit motel in Joshua Tree. And completely renovated it and did all the interior design herself. You have the people who wrote a, a book, like this kind of template on how to read your star signs and has marketed it in a bunch of stores. I bring this up to say that it is a absolutely universal thing that creatives do. And I'm no different. I had many different outlets throughout my life. I have always really been into carpentry. And even when I was at RGA, my first real advertising job, I spent weekends building a bar in RGA San Francisco so we could do happy hours there. And I built it by hand. I did a, a, a mosaic top on it, all this kind of stuff. And it just, it brought me peace. I was in the office working, but I wasn't working in, in the sense, but I was still getting creative satisfaction from it. And now these days I oscillate between a, a number of hobbies, but strangely enough, my main hobby is jujitsu now, which doesn't tick the box of traditional creativity, but it it very much does if you have done jujitsu before. It's it's very much a creative art and sport and one that I've been pursuing for a number of years now. I think it's very interesting. Upwork helps people take advantage of the gig economy. Do you, as a VP of creative, benefit from that? Do you guys hire from your own business? Oh, absolutely. 80% of our team is wow. uh, freelance. And uh, a lot of them are freelancing with us for a long time. We have one of our designers, for example, Jason, he is a touring musician and he's been freelancing with Upwork for, I think it's seven years now. And amazing designer, amazing guitarist and singer. And being freelance and being remote allows him to fulfill that creative need in his life while enabling him to make a great living. And yeah, we've, we have people who have been on for a long time like Jason. We have people who come in just for short projects. And a lot of them we find right off the Upwork platform. It allows for us to be able to fulfill short-term or long-term needs. And also, I'm not trying to get too salesy here, but it actually, it's nice to have a, a rating system where you're like, hey, someone's worked with this person before. Like I go on LinkedIn and maybe you're connected to somebody I know, but I don't know, hey, this, this Norbert guy, he's a five-star guy because I don't, I don't have that kind of rating system. So it actually, it has made the hiring process a little easier in that sense. That is very cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. I don't know what that's all about, but I've, I actually, there's a lot of blogs that I go to and read. I think that's very interesting. Nice. The thing that really happened was COVID, man. A lot of things got shaken up and a lot of old norms got tested. And a lot of people realized that, hey, the last time we rethought the way we work was when we used to drive horses to work. It was the industrial revolution was really the last time that we thought about it. And the kind of the next revolution was COVID when we really were forced to do that. So you had a lot of people go from these city centers to, hey, I've always wanted to live in Idaho, or I've always wanted to live on the beach or something like that. And 
you had all these great people moving out to places where they weren't in the backyard of the biggest agencies and brands in the world. But because of things like Upwork and plenty of other platforms, they are available. And so I think it's, it really was that inflection point. Was COVID really forcing us to, to pressure test the ways that we live and work? Another change to the workforce has been the proliferation of AI. AI is such a big thing on different levels, but I don't know how it fits in with what you guys do. Do you use it? And if you don't, why? And if you do, why? Yeah, we, we absolutely do. I think there's definitely a line between using it properly and improperly. I think that that line is blurry and weird because AI is blurry and weird and it's a new thing. But we actually, I'll give you two recent examples. For emails, we have been exploring like, hey, how can we get like a first draft done? And then like our, our writers can come in and really make it great and make sure it sings to the brief. Another one is earlier you were talking about selling in ideas. And one of the hard ways of selling in a conceptual idea is having the, the person who you're selling it to actually being able to envision that idea. And we were able to use AI to comp up these, these, this imagery that was exactly what we were talking about. We wanted to find people who were sitting in offices, but the floor is sand and the, the desk fan was blowing their hair back. We wanted all these specific things and good luck finding swipe for that. Or you're just going to have to comp that up for hours. Or you could go into AI and create yourself. And so finding it as like a means to an end seems to be the sweet spot for us at this very moment. We continue to experiment with it and figure out the best ways to do it and to do it ethically. But we found that usually first drafts and then really using it as a way to, to expedite the creative process and the selling of that creative has been paying dividends for us. It's a use it or get left behind in, in a lot of ways. Well, Patrick, don't want to keep you all night. I know you're, you're a busy guy doing that DP creative stuff over there at Upworks. I really appreciate coming on tonight. It's been a blast talking to you and, and having you share some of your knowledge with us. Do you have a website or yeah, YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you can, you can find me on LinkedIn if you just want to look me up or you can check out obviously Upwork.com if you are looking to hire talent or be hired for your talents. And then you can also check out the site for my team, which is upwork.com slash workshop. That's the name of our little in-house agency. You can learn more about us and who we are and maybe even come join us. That sounds cool. Yeah, absolutely. I love what Upworks allows users to do. I do a lot of side jobs. I do almost more side jobs than I have my regular job, but I really appreciate the aspect of what Upworks facilitates. And like you were talking about earlier, sometimes what you're doing in your, as they say, day job, doesn't fulfill. And it's great if you can do what you love and also make a little bit of money. So I think that's a pretty sweet deal. Absolutely. So I really appreciate it tonight. You have a great evening. All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you. All right, bye now. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late.